From multiple unconventional locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are online conferences and conventions, and documentation. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. You had kind of a, a little bit of a thrill there when you said the word documentation. I did. <laughs> Same, Ellen. I'm very excited. Um, I, I had a, kind of a really existential moment in like half a second there. I'm like, how do I make documentation sound exciting? And then I was like, just let your feelings come through. Yeah. <laughs> just be yourself. <laughs> it'll, it'll work. <laughs> well, before we get into that thrill ride... Uh, we have some yeah. <laughs> some news to talk about at the top of the show. Uh, first thing, I, I meant to say this a while ago, but forgot because calendar math and all the normal reasons we never say things when they're timely. Um, <laughs> yep. But, uh, you know, my little indie company, Noble Robot, um, it became a publisher recently. Um, I ported and published uh, Ben Burns' uh, Color Jumper. Ben Burns has been on the show before. He made a game called Color Jumper. It's an incredible uh, precision platformer um, with a really mm-hmm. unique twist. Um, and I worked with him to get it on switch. And so it's on switch now, um, not from where we're sitting, but from when you're hearing this, it's available now. So go ahead and pick that up. Uh, it's 10 bucks. That's a fantastic game. It'll eat up a lot more of your time than you'd expect it will. Um, so the value is very high, uh, and I'm very Mm -hmm. excited about it. And it's something I've talked about on the show before is like, once we got widget satchel on switch, you know, I had all this knowledge of the the publishing and, and development side of it, but my own next game is still a ways away. So what was I going to do with this knowledge I built up? And one of the things I wanted to do was get other people's games on Switch. And so Ben's mm-hmm. Ben be, agreed to be sort of the test case uh, for that. And it went really, really well. And so that game is out now. Um, so go pick it up. And um, I'm looking forward to doing that with more uh, titles from this community, serving as kind of a you know, a bridge between, uh, you know, a self-publishing model and a publisher model. I'm not intending to start a publishing business, but I, I will be technically a publisher uh, for you if you want your game on Switch. I'm very excited about it. If you're interested in the guts of Color Jumper, we talked about, uh, we had yeah. uh, Ben on to talk about, uh, it was a code comment we had, an episode on, a video episode, so you can, like, see um, how the game actually functions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think we also did, like, a... a another video episode there's a bunch of episodes we had been on so uh, yeah, we'll yeah. link to those in the show notes um and then also buy the game because it's a good game and it's cheap and it's on switch and you know switch is cool yeah yeah uh <laughs> yeah it's a really fun game and if you love platformers it's a fantastic game because like, you know one of the greatest things is coming across a genre like a game in a genre that you're very accustomed to and then seeing something fresh and new applied to the genre. And that's exactly what this does. It's also just like a great feel for the switch. I think, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. the, I, when I pick up the switch, when I just pick it up, I feel a certain way. Yeah. And I feel like the feeling I get when I'm playing color jumper is a, it's a good synergy with the feeling when I just pick up the switch. So it's particularly fun to play with the classic NES controller that Nintendo oh. offers. feels really, yeah. really good with that. Yeah. Cause it's a very, it's such a tight game. Like the, the yeah. controls are so tight. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. But one of the things that was fun to work on is making it work with Joy-Cons, which don't have D-pads, right? Oh, yeah. And I feel really good about the the implementation, uh, that it, it feels like particularly at home uh, on a single Joy-Con or on, you know, a handheld or whatever. Like, that was a big fun part of the process 
Um, but if you want to like play old school classic, get yourself one of those uh, classic NES controllers. Good idea. Yeah. So other news uh, that is way too late uh, that we're way too late on is uh, <laughs> 2D Con happened a week or so or whatever ago. And um, if you missed it and you are hearing this and this is news to you, then you did. Um, we <laughs> we did a live show there where we uh, did a nice games jam live for an audience. And I say did and that we have not done it yet. Um, <laughs> right. But um, and that episode is going to be in the normal feed. So you'll hear it eventually. But you should be able to go onto our YouTube channel um, and probably on our website. We'll figure out a way. But uh, uh, you should be able to see it now um unedited anyway um and hopefully it went well i think we're hoping i'm sure it was perfect <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. all of our jokes jokes were on time there was no awkward transitions or mm-hmm. anything like that it was just perfect perfect play. yeah well because it, because we're doing it live as part of this convention um we uh we took the opportunity uh steven you're going to have your 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 camera pointed down at the table and you're going to have props yeah. and stuff for the design, which is something we've talked about when we do the nice games jams on the show is we have to explain what we're doing with our hands when we're making like a tabletop experience. And I yeah. think we do an OK job, but we do worry that like people won't quite understand uh, the sort of physicality that we're trying to, to implement. But like now is an opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. So um, that's pretty exciting. You get, yeah, it's like nice prototype materials together. Enhanced. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you'll be able to see my actual fingers. <laughs> Most of the time of our <laughs> pictures, you just see my face. So. Uh, study up, I guess. Yep. If you want to draw my fingers. More of uh, Steven for you to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Proof Steven has hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else is going on? This one's not too late. Uh, uh, another online convention, um, uh, PAX uh, Online, which is a combination of PAX Australia and PAX West, which normally happen at the same time anyway. Um, but because the whole mm-hmm. world is shut down and nobody can go to events anymore, uh, the organizers of both of those conventions, which are actually separate folks, they organize together, but uh, they're run by you know different heads. They've put them those heads together, and they're do- doing it online. And um, I'm going to be on one of the panels for PAX Online, uh, an app um, about uh, animals in video games. Uh, and of course, oh. we had uh, uh, Sprocket the ferret in our game Widget yeah. Satchel. Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah. I'm uh, the the panel has a, um, is a bunch of people uh, doing like little mini talks. And so mine is about the a concept that I've been sort of noodling around with. It has a, a name you're all going to hate, so I'm not going to reveal it now. But <laughs> a way to think about how we approach uh, um, animals in games and how we can extend that to other ideas about third-person storytelling in games that are, a fir- that are sort of first-person experience. If that makes no sense to you, that's fine. Uh, you just check out uh, PAX Online. I will, I'll put in the show notes the exact uh, date and time for the panel. Uh, that you can check it out yourself. Uh, so I'm really excited. I've never been on a PAX panel before. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be again, um, but it's, uh, it was a cool opportunity. So and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I recorded it this week and, and, and sent it off. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I think, I think people will be okay with it. Cool. <laughs> Ellen, you have a whole lot of things to talk about here at the top of the show. Oh my gosh. And none of them are really a big deal. Um, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been, pl- I haven't been playing any games like the last week or so, because I've been trying to build a standing desk. Cause I'm just so sick of sitting down. I'm, done with it i've been trying to lift a desk that i already have but not like by putting something on the top of the desk but instead putting stuff underneath the legs i'm not sure if it's gonna work um but that's the kind of stuff i like to have fun with so i guess i'm playing a game with myself of can you mess this desk up or not um (laughs) and so far i've got one leg somewhat done and it's not messed up yet so that's that's me um one other thing i 
I have also been making my way through Yukai Chao's actionable gam- gamification. It's a book on his Octalysis framework. Um, I will link to that in the show notes too, but might be, it might be something we can talk about in a, another episode, but it's been really interesting. I, I, the book could maybe use some additional editing maybe, <laughs> uh, but the ideas behind that framework are interesting. And it's always, it's always nice, at least I think, to have another framework through which you can view game design because certain frameworks will, I think, serve you better in different situations. And bouncing frameworks off one another lets you look at the dynamics of the game in different lights. And I think that can reveal more about where you might want to take it. Um, so that's been, that's been pretty cool. That's how I've been by- spending my time. That's fantastic. I like yeah. the way you approach that, which is that you're, you're learning a system and a, a concept not to see if it's for you, but to see how it will blend with everything else you've learned and know. Right? Yeah, it's just another tool in the toolbox. You know, you don't use one soft for everything. Yeah. It's just me trying to channel my very bad construction skills as I try to build myself a desk. So you can already get a preview of how this might turn out. Well, I think a lot of people find like a tome that like really speaks to them and that becomes their ideology, like on any particular topic. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it's not like the worst thing in the world to like find something that you really believe in in terms of like a working structure. But uh, in game design, like the the field is young enough that like it sort of is um it's a good idea to take the approach that Ellen you described, which is just let's here's another way of doing it and I'm I'm I you know, to to mix in with the rest of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it's changing. I mean, game game development changes with each medium, but then certain aspects stay the same. And depending on who's involved in it, and it's you know, it's growing. And it's so it's I think it's good to keep, you know, expanding your repertoire of frameworks and ideas mm-hmm. about game design because you gotta keep things fresh yeah. and uh keep your tool set sharpened and your tool set are in your your brain. So um <laughs> today when I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna finish I'm gonna finish my desk and then I'm gonna probably play color jumper. So that's me. Nice. Hey. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the topics for today's show. Mine is on online conferences. And I think this is, uh, we've done enough of these now, us as a society, that I think we have kind of an idea for how they go and we're developing a language for them. It's not that there weren't online conferences before um, Mm -hmm. the pandemic, but um, it is now something that a whole industry has been pivoting to and adapting to and and taking learnings from. And so I just wanted to sort of talk a little bit about some of the ones that we've either experienced or been part of and then kind of the pros and cons, but, and how the thing that really strikes me is it's not, it, they just are different. Like when I think about like what's better or worse, I'm like, neither seem like the the pros and cons don't seem like trade-offs. They really just seem like, oh, it'd be great to be able to do both of these things, like have online conferences and offline conferences rather than like pick one or the other. Um, You know, who knows when we can make that choice again, but um, that's been my takeaway. And so we'll walk through this stuff, but the first, I mean, the one that's probably relevant to a lot of our listeners, whether you go regularly or have never been, is GDC. And we talked about on this show as it, as it was happening, um, you know, GDC being, um, you know, uh, uh, delayed, then put online, sort of, then announced as an in-person event in August. And then they wised up and realized that wasn't going to happen and turned it into an official online one. And I think we even talked a couple of weeks ago about um, the, the, the actual event itself and what was, you know, how well it did in and in places it fell short. But that one's really interesting because as a consequence, next year's GDC is going to be in July instead of March. And that's mm-hmm. not like that big a deal. 
But partly it's going to be then because that's the safest they feel they could announce it. Um, mm. But it makes me think of like the the game dev calendar revolves around GDC in March. And so that's, a yeah, weird, that's an interesting totally consequence. Does. Like deals get done yeah. then, whether at GDC or not. But it's when people yeah. get in the mindset to do that stuff. Yeah. So and GDC is an organization, the company that puts on. They're not really actually part of the game industry. They, they're a company that puts on events and they just happen right. to put on this one that's so important to, to developers in that industry. Um, so it's really, it's super fascinating. That one I found- And not just that, but like, it's going to bump up against E3. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, assuming E3 happens next year, because like I, people have been saying it's been on the client for a long time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to bump up again when E3 is. And E3, like oftentimes they will announce a few things at GDC, nothing like major, but like, it comes and then like after that is E3 stuff. Yeah. But this year it might be E3 stuff and then GDC. Yeah. And, like that it's just very different. <laughs> I don't right. know how that'll change things. And it's weird because they the the historical purpose of GDC is is a conference. It's for education. Right. It's for networking. It's for people to go mm-hmm. and learn about their craft, share uh, what they've learned with others. But it's become a bit more of a trade show where people go to mm. make deals and sell their wares or middlewares, and is, is, is often the case. Um, and uh, on the other hand, uh, E3 ha- w- is started as a trade show. It was meant for publishers to get retail organizations to buy copies of their games to stock for the holiday season, and then it slowly became more of a consumer show. Um, and and its its purpose is to make news. Uh, less than to make deals, although that still happens, right? So it kind of just at this point, people have tools now to to connect in ways they didn't that these events were made to do. And so one of the weird things about putting all this stuff online is it makes clear more than ever before that nothing is anything. Like <laughs> it's all just there's no um, people will just they get together and then they do whatever it is they they find convenient to do in those spaces. And how how much these things have moved from even their original purposes to the point where now mm-hmm. they need to radically change in ways that like some of them don't seem like they're that different at all. Like for a lot of people, E3 isn't any different than it ever was, right? Uh, all the yeah. people experience E3 by watching uh, conferences on you or uh, press conferences on YouTube that are highly mm-hmm. produced off off site anyway and have no mm-hmm. E3 logos or anything like that, and reading game news then that that week and the week after, and that kind of happened this year it was spread out wasn't all Mm -hmm. concentrated but like for a lot of people didn't change that much at all gdc on the other hand losing that in-person thing was devastating to a lot of people um yeah and it provided new opportunities for a lot of other people so it's just really quite incredible um and that when it comes like industry events and then you have something like pax uh which is mentioned it's going online this year um and that is much more of a consumer focused show um, you know, for those of us in the industry, we do, we like table, we sell our games and, and our wares and, you know, like any kind of, uh, convention, uh, than a conference. And so that's going to be really interesting because it's the biggest of its kind, uh, that is, that is doing this, but it's not the first, right? Others, other, mm-hmm. uh, uh, conventions have been held online and have done pretty well adapting what is essentially a place to go to have fun and to share interests. Um, mm-hmm. because online spaces are pretty well suited to that as well. It's just the exact thing you do it has to change a lot, right? Um, yeah. And one of the ones that that went online, I would like, I guess, without a hitch, but maybe I'm maybe I I'm not looking at it in the right way. Is 
uh, Games Done Quick, which uh, just happened from where we're sitting. Steven, you wanted to talk about the experience of watching it this year and maybe how it was different from previous. Yeah, yeah I wanted to talk about that because like it didn't change much. Like I miss the couch, you know, like uh, a lot of speedrunners, like they're when they're doing the thing, they'll have people in the back like commentating as they're playing. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. people had couches, quote unquote, this time where they just had people on their Discord call giving commentary too. And that was great. Um, but like I kind of missed the interaction between the couch and the crowd. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. a crowd. Whenever like anything exciting happened, the 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 runners would be like, Wow, this is cool. Claps in the chat. And there were claps in the chat, but it's not the same. Um but like other than that, like it was it was still really good. And I, I what I really appreciated about um SDGQ this year that I'm sure we'll talk about for like the benefits of uh, online conferences is that like I think there was more of an international scene this year than there was in years in the past because mm-hmm. like people would have to travel to uh the US um uh, in, in Minnesota specifically if it wasn't summer games then click. Uh and like that's not always a feasible option for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um so like it being online allowed uh, more people to be able to participate in the in showcasing whatever games they wanted to showcase. Yeah, which was really yeah. cool. And speedrunning has become something that I mean, people oh for like um, verification purposes, people generally yeah. speed their uh, stream their speedrunning attempts. That's yep. it. Um, and so a lot of those speedrunners are very well suited to that format. Um, yeah. And so it it did sort of seem to go not it just looked like you just saw people's bookshelves instead of a crowd of people. Uh, you know, at the 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 Marriott or whatever it is, wherever they hold these things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the it crowd, wasn't really... the crowd was interesting, like because that was a yeah. big part of that. That sort of like, li- people talking about live sports also in the same sort of way, and uh, mm-hmm. there's debate as to what that magic really is. But like, it is to lose that like when something crazy happens, right? Mm-hmm. Something unusual. Yeah. That 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 energy is something that is uh, has to be kind of like, you know, done without. Yep. It's a different energy. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a different energy. And it's interesting because like the, the day-to-day skills of a speedrunner doing the stream, doing the game aren't, I guess, really any different than the skills needed to be a speedrunner at an online conference slash competition, um, which is, you know, kind of the reverse of probably what a lot of other people who were conference goers are experiencing this year. But you're missing, you're missing, the, the attendees are missing that in-person connection. Yeah. And it really is a different energy. Yeah. So. One thing I will say in relation to SGDQ, and I imagine this is the same with other conferences too, is that like it's much more apparent when the person who's doing the streaming and commentary are not as like charismatic. <laughs> as oh others. yeah. Um, and it, it, no fault to the runners; they obviously displayed um, immense skill, like speed running the games. But like you could tell that like there's a big difference between somebody who um, maybe like streams a lot and like you know interacts with their audience more and stuff versus somebody who doesn't yeah mm-hmm. um, and like it it some of that is masked a bit because like there's a crowd and a host that like can play off they can play off of that energy a bit better but mm-hmm. like um, a lot of that was missing from this year for some people i think yeah 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 uh well you bring up one of the the major pluses of moving things to an online space um, and that's so I'll get through some of these pros, like what's what's good about this as a movement and like going back yeah. to my, you know, my my point at the beginning about how like this isn't ex- we, we could ha- we could have it both ways. But what's really, really good and what it makes it better than an in-person event is, like, as you were saying, more people can participate. Right. Yeah. Um, it, due to cost or access or, you know, this just is also a different criteria. Right. Uh, to be able to. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really incredible. And I don't know. I would love to have 
the information in front of me, like the data to, but I'd love to think that it makes it a little bit easier uh, for more diverse voices to be a part. Um, but I could also see that maybe being the opposite, um, but it depends <clears> on, it's just a different set of limitations and restrictions, but certainly yeah. geographically is, is, a, is a big one where it's just like, there's no travel costs. And that yeah. is, it's obvious, but also can't be underestimated, like how big a deal yeah. that is, you it's know? so significant. Mm. Conference tickets can get so pricey. Mm. Doesn't even matter what conference you're talking about. I know there are some that are much more expensive than others. Yeah. Um, but, whew. Right, because it's not just anyway. the people who are like putting on things. It's like people showing up because most of these online conferences are free. Um, events like uh, mm -hmm. Games Done Quick, have, you know, they're always free. They're free. They meant to elicit charity, but... Um, but conferences usually are, are uh, we've said it on the show before, overpriced, uh, at least they feel that way. Um, but, uh, a lot of times these things just become free because of these unusual circumstances. And so that's a really big positive, but on the other side, I don't know how sustainable it is. Like if this becomes like if PAX is online every year, it can't be free every year. Right. Right. Um, a GDC tried to charge some money, uh, not quite as much, but still quite a lot. Um, yeah. and that was interesting, um, mm -hmm. their, their approach to it. Whereas when GDC did, uh, their sort of like, um, uh, a couple of things, they put on some talks in March, uh, uh, during the original time frame of the original event, that was all free. Right. That was a, sort of a much smaller kind of thing, but they didn't, that was their way of adapting is just like giving that away. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, it is interesting. I, I, like, I wonder how much, um, in a year or two when people are like, oh, this is much easier to put these online events, let's do it. But then will the audiences follow them when it's no longer novel and no longer free for a lot of these things, right? Yeah, it's uh, a good question. I think that like, I definitely think that like it is, it is brought, um, I think that it's important that like we, uh, you brought it up before that like there's more of an international um, experience from this. I think like, mm -hmm. like Glenn Henry, who we had on the show a bit ago and, um, Ryan Sumo, who was on the show a bit ago too, um, talked about how like they've been able to um, communicate more and do more networking things due to uh, these online conferences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the real benefit for the that other half of it, right? If you're talking about uh, mm -hmm. conferences more so than conventions, is the yeah. people meeting people. And I know I have personally benefited um, in my ability to meet more people as a result of a lot of these things moving online. And it's mm -hmm. really, really quite, this, this show has benefited from those connections and from the fact yeah, that we've all yeah. been able to just meet more people because the, the community now just exists in a place where we all are um, mm -hmm. rather than at certain places at certain times. And yeah. uh, the barrier to entry is a lot lower, not just technically, but also um, psychologically and like emotionally. Um, it's easier mm -hmm. to sort of hop in and see what these spaces are and to realize that you belong there. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's, uh, that's from networking, like official networking events, but also more casual, uh, social groups. We've talked about the gig, uh, on this show before, uh, which is a, a, um, a weekly zoom call for game industry people. And, uh, that's been really beneficial and it's just amazing that that's there now. And I think that's something that won't go away. Uh, now that we yeah. all know it's possible, um, whether mm -hmm. the online spaces we're in are, are, are conferences in the future or conventions. There's going to be more events where you can get these benefits, and I at least I'd like to believe that's the case. Um, yeah. Once once we realize that the, that that benefit was available to us, I don't think we're going to give it up. I, I hope not. Yeah. Anyway. But on the other side of that, in person networking is still really really important. Um, mm -hmm. I 
I do not like industry parties. I, every the first couple of years I went to GDC, uh, I really felt alienated by a lot of the social aspects of it. But that's a that is a big like meeting in the hotel bar or or, yeah. or heading out to a, a, an event at night hosted by someone where there's a lots of drinks and you yeah. know loud loud music. It's like I want to talk about my craft because it's a earliest a very like a rare opportunity I have. But the truth is, mm-hmm. people who have been in the industry for years and years or just more like uh, more uh, extroverted or social, those spaces are more for really just enjoying yourself. And then mm-hmm. you just happen to meet people and then those connections are made sort of uh, through osmosis. But I don't right. I don't network that way. And so I had a lot of trouble yeah. with that. And so um, uh, that but missing out on that, I think, will hurt a lot of people who are suited to that. Right. To a suited to their personalities working in that way, who are making those connections are like, oh, I casually met this one person um, who would be great for you to meet, you know, the, 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 the sort of web of connections between people uh, when yeah. it's more natural, like it can be at in-person events um, or more haphazard, perhaps. Um, yeah, it's a it's a different kind of effort, I think. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. It's <laughs> a different it takes a different set of skills, like because I personally prefer um, offline, you know, meeting people in person because like I. Uh, I've like, I guess I've specced myself and my RPG chart for more, <laughs> for more uh, in-person social interaction. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's, it's more difficult for me to like do networking in this, in this current uh, movement because like, um, I don't, I haven't developed those online skills as much, but like, yeah, this, we all have to practice at it. Um, mm-hmm. but like, like Mark, you've been, it seems to me like you've been flourishing it's- currently. <laughs> As a as a dedicated homebody who stays up way too late, and, <laughs> and it's perfect. It's like it's really working for me. Um, yeah, but the, but it's really important to know that like it's not working for everybody, right? Or it right, is, yeah. or it is working for those people, but they're missing something else that they once had, right? Yeah, um, yep. mm-hmm. that might be the most generous reading of it, but I definitely think that's the case. And um, I mean, that's not me, but like I know that's got, it has to be true. Um, yeah. And um, it, it the. It's tricky too because when you meet with, like these online uh, systems are much are just much more structured, and that makes it easier to meet people. But it makes it harder to do more than that. Um, to yeah. like it, it makes it a little harder to do like follow up meetings or to if you have two meetings, it's hard to know which one was more successful because they're all like clocked to twenty minutes as part of a of a meet to match system or something like that. Yeah, and then with follow up emails, it is less personal. It's more technical. And that plays yeah. to my strengths. It plays to a lot of people's strengths. Um, you know, like I, I would describe myself as a social person, but like not in a way that works for, for these sorts of things. But at the right. same time, I've, I've been to like publisher meetings or I've met with people who are like trying to offer me middleware or, 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 or networking events and stuff uh, that are online now. And it's hard to get like, oh, like I, they've been successful and that I've been more comfortable in them and it's been easier to get on board with them. But at the same time, like a week later, I couldn't tell you which one was going to lead to something. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. an in-person meeting, uh, I think you have a little bit more, and not just because you're physically face-to-face. I think yeah. I, I'm a believer that being on a, you know, your brain can fill in the details. It's a, a Zoom call is pretty good. But mm-hmm. there's more to this, the body language and like the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, those three minutes where you are like chat a little bit afterwards before you walk away to your next thing. And like the yeah. thing that makes you late to the next meeting, you know? Is something yes. that yeah. mostly happens in person. It can really give you a, a something you don't always identify till later, and that's that's definitely missing from these more structured, um, you know, uh, uh, rigid systems that are required for all these bits of technology to connect us in these social spaces. Yeah, you you know, 
that that brings up, I think, something that we might that might really influence the way that we see the conference space evolve after the pandemic mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of settled. Um, and I think that, you know, you mentioned that some of these, some of the conferences we've seen move online might stay online because certain aspects of putting those conferences on are, are better or easier. Yeah. And then some might go back to being in person, but maybe with some changes. And I think part, part of the reason why, it feels awkward to do conferences online is simply just because there have has we haven't had as much practice. Like the industry yeah, of online yeah. conference is new. The technology is new compared to yeah, right. all the infrastructure and um, practices and the profession of putting on in-person events that's been going on for a long time. And yeah. it's like, I think the not being an expert in you know event planning, but like, there's there's a lot that has been learned in for going back several decades that's still yeah. relevant today, right? And is building on that. Whereas with online conferences, it's just you know we've kind of taken meeting and webinar software and scaled it up. That's not entirely true. I know people are doing other things with it. Yeah. Um. But the other things they've been doing with it haven't been around very long, so we haven't had a lot of time to iterate on that and actually improve it. So this problem of like not being able to very significantly communicate body language unless you're like a wiggly person on camera, which I am. And you will see that if you're coming to 2 Gone. <laughs> um, like it's not going to come through. Um, and that's a problem that it's just the platforms haven't solved for yet. Yeah. But they might, they might more, there might, now that there's more, there are more users online for online conferences. There's more of a need for it. It may be a time where some of those uh, improvements get a little bit of a jump start. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you bring on... up a good point, Alan. I think that, like, um, and Mark, I think you hinted at this too. Uh, like, I think I think that a lot of like the the social problems, or I shouldn't say social problems, but like the difficulties that people have had in these social situations before have been issues for a long time, and they're ju- we're just now noticing that there are solutions that can solve the problem that people maybe haven't been talking about as much. I mean, like, Mark, you specifically talked about, like, alcohol at these events and things. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And I think that, like, a lot of things can happen as a result of uh, alcohol. Like, in, in in safe doses and stuff, when you're with friends and people you can trust, it's it's okay. But, like, in the, in these kinds of situations where, like, you're trying to do networking, you're trying to meet people, and um, the alcohol can affect um, your decision-making, um, in, yeah. in, in very negative ways, I think that it's dangerous mm-hmm. even to have alcohol at some some of these events. And, I mean, and so, it's like, proven to be so. There are plenty of yeah. accounts that uh, you know that takes a while for those voices to be heard or for people to feel comfortable to speak. But like, it is a real, real problem. Um, yeah, uh, the, people go in with different expectations of what these events are. Sometimes, like a mixer, mm-hmm. um, they're like, "This mm-hmm. is a place where I, you know, have a cocktail and make a deal." And other people yeah. are like, "Well, this is where I unwind and relax." And other people yeah. are like, well, this is where I have the fun that I'm here to have, you know, and like, right. not, yeah. you know, I mean, you can tell in my voice, which uh, which is I'm less excited about. But like <laughs> none of those on its face are wrong. It's just that, yeah, they're all mixed together and people don't have shared expectations. And it allows yeah. bad actors to flourish in a way that is yes. harder to monitor, um, yeah. which is really, really tricky. That's exactly it. So like those kinds of things. And like, I mean. I guess that's more of a um, insidious like kind of issue, but like mm-hmm. there are other issues where like it's just awkward sometimes to talk to people in person. Yeah, um, like those kinds of things have been problems at conferences for a while, and like online conferences help with that some. 
Yeah. Um, and help bring those problems to light more, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like you don't know what you you're missing, you know, until you, you have it, I guess. It's yeah. It's the contrast that is allowing certain issues and issues and then also benefits of being in person to yeah. come to light a little bit more, which you're I think what what I'm hearing you get at, Stephen, is the the illumination that comes with that contrast and the ability to compare is going to help us um, work through some of those problems in both formats, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, because prior to COVID, most conferences, I believe, like the, the vast, vast majority of conferences were primarily in person. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have the perspective that and the experience to make it like a big topic of conversation. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Ellen, you talked mm-hmm. earlier about the the experience we're slowly getting as we like learn how these things work. And I put it, I put in one of my cons in my notes here is like certain types of activities are not suitable to be moved online. But I think you uh, uh, made me think about it a little differently, which is certain things we just haven't figured out how to move online, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, game demos or um, you know more in person kind of presentations, like ha- seem like oh I can move that online, but then suddenly they lose all their magic or they like are not proper, right? Or even when it just comes to like the socialness of like uh, activities related to badges, right? Like little mini games and stuff, things to get people excited about being at a place. You can't really do that as much online, or at least you haven't been able to, but maybe we'll figure that stuff out, right? Mm -hmm. The thing I've noticed a lot is like stuff falls through the cracks a little bit. um, And I really hope we're keeping an eye on it. The one example that really kind of upset me a little bit is uh, in, uh, I might've mentioned this when we were talking about GDC summer, but GDC Summer has has like a chat room open where, where uh, uh, people who are giving their talks, which are all pre-recorded, can answer questions. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the traditional Q&A session after the fact. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really useful, right? And, and one of the things that's useful about it is like, oh, that's great because it'll just be documented as text, which is maybe a little better than the, the weird five minute after the talk Q&A session you see on these conference videos. But yeah. what ended up happening is after the talk was over, the video... Uh, that went directly into an archive state, which is a, an improvement on previous uh, GDC events. But the Q&A mm. in the chat room disappeared. Mm. It wasn't archived anywhere yeah. because the system wasn't designed for that. It was designed for chat, like live oh. chat. And so oh. uh, Q&A is really valuable at these conferences when you go to them in person. And not just for you to get your question answered, but to hear people say unexpected things and get a, a new, uh, like the actual, uh, it's more content and more valuable content. And it's just, uh, it was, it was there at GDC, but it's gone now. Um, yeah. which is kind of interesting. And like, I don't know, I don't blame them for not thinking of it. It's like the system wasn't designed for that, but hopefully over time, come up with ways to, to fill in those gaps. Right. Yeah, for sure. Steven. Yes. Steven. Y- yes. Everything. All right, Ellen. Where do I go to talk to people? about the kind of things that we talk about here. I want to talk about it more, but we only have so much time to record. Yeah, that's true. What do I do? Yeah, we gotta, there should be a solution to that. Uh, oh, there's, there's our Discord channel. Well, heck. Yeah, yeah. You can go to nicegames.club slash Discord. And there are people there talking about things? There are people talking about things. Ooh. Uh, there was a topic the other day about how getting art or making art for your game or getting artists to work on your game. Um, it was a very fascinating talk. I had some things I wanted to bring up. I was just thinking about that the other day. That's perfect. Yeah. I'll go there. Well, we're not right now because we have the rest of the episode to record. That's true. But I'll go there. Well, then not later because I'm playing Color Jumper. <laughs> That's also true. Well, when you find the time. <laughs> when you find I'll, the time to sign up. I'll go on and say hi. 
Yes. Well, I'm on there, so I'll just be there lonely unless somebody signs up at nicegames.club slash discord. Come on and join Steven and myself on Nice Games Club slash Discord. Can I come too? <laughs> of course. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, um, we have now documented the benefits and disadvantages of online conferences. Mm-hmm. And we can use that information in the future. And to benefit mankind, we're referring to our script document to know what we're going to talk about next. Also a good point. That's brilliant. I love it. Uh, my topic is documentation. Um, Yay! <laughs> transition. Get hype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I want to talk about documentation because, uh, well, part of it is because like I uh, did a little bit of like trying to figure out how to make a class about making game design documents at school, which was weird. Um, But like interesting. Um, But also I'm like notoriously bad. I I say notoriously because like I notice this of myself a lot um, that I don't really do a lot of documentation. You you would have achieved notoriety on that topic, but nobody's written it down. (laughs) 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 Yes. Um, and like I've noticed that like because of because I don't document a lot of things in games, I admit, um there are like ways that I tend to build games that are affected by that. Like hmm. I I tend to keep all of my ideas in my head, um. So sometimes I'll forget ideas. Like I think I brought up. Uh, see, I forgot them. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I tend to I tend to like over design my ideas because they're like just stuck in my head. Um, and so like, I'll just keep thinking about it and think about it. There's nothing for me to visually just see what I have actually like achieved in terms of like design process for a mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think about the structure of the code cause I don't like coding as much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like, I don't have a good solid vision for like art styles. Cause like, again, it's not something I'm particularly great at. Um, and so like, uh, having something written down would help me not think about design and think about coding or art 
more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, like, if I end up, like, prototyping or developing this game, I end up forgetting why I made the decisions that I made. And so, mm-hmm. like, they'll end up getting changed for sometimes arbitrary reasons or for sometimes detrimental to the actual idea I had about the game. Hmm. Um, and so, like, I wanted to talk about documentation mainly because future Stephen needs the kick in the butt to make sure to do it more <laughs> often. <laughs> I like the way you approach the topic, which is, like, it's it's not just, like, putting comments in your code, which I've yeah. chastised mm-hmm. you about in the past. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's it's just about writing. It's about anything. It's about documenting your design process, documenting your code architecture, and it all it's all valuable for the same reason. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and like, and yeah, I think that like um, people who are more organized than me, like Ellen, for example, probably <laughs> are much better at documenting, and as a result, like, come at creation of games in a different way. That is sometimes that I think is like you know beneficial for future Ellen. <laughs> yeah maybe yeah i think so i mean i actually um it's interesting because i think the the what i think of as a document can be a little flexible i guess um you know creating a design document as like a starting point i think is important because you need to be able to outline the different aspects of your vision and you need to be able to articulate it clearly and the exercise of doing a design document does like like you were saying a couple things one it gives you a place where you can reference and go back and be like okay right this is the thing i was trying to get at and i remember i did this because i wanted to get that and it can keep you back on it can pull you back on track yeah and then i also think the process of putting together a design document gives you the language that you need to bring other people into your vision if you're working with others which is critical like if you're trying to get funding if you're trying to work with a team like you need to be able to tell a consistent and compelling description to story of what your, of your vision. Um, and I think the exercise of putting a document, a design document together, not only gives you a document you can share with somebody, but also helps you rehearse the language and the, the, the things that you're trying to convey when you're talking about it in person or online. Um, but then it also, I think I just find documents. I find documentation so frustrating sometimes because mm-hmm. of the, upda- the update factor mm-hmm. and one of the things that I like the teams that I've been working on working with over the last few years have struggled with, not necessarily you guys on widget satchel. I think we, we were pretty good about like finding a good balance, but they like, I've noticed a tendency to over, not necessarily over document in like the deep sense, but the documentation gets really broad. So Mm -hmm. you end up with Mm -hmm. decisions that are like spread across a bazillion different documents. That doesn't feel useful to me. I'd rather have one document with like, a bazillion pages that I can search through or, or have everything in Jira in the form of user stories and then have it archived and I can look through it using Jira's, whatever your, your tool is, mm-hmm. you know, using search. And that, that feels more useful to me than having like a bazillion different decisions made by different people on different things. Yeah. So like, yeah. when I think about useful documentation, I think about it as like, in terms of medium and platform, narrow and deep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's a little bit my thought and experience. I mean, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because like, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's difficult to be going through different documents depending on like what thing you're looking for. And it would be easier if it was just a section of a larger document. Um, yeah. but like, I, but also, uh, I, I think just thinking about it in terms of like, if you were to think of like a document in terms of like a, uh, a, 
uh, scripting. Um, you wouldn't want to put all of your scripting information in one script because like that just complicates so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, you do want to like, it, it, I think it's helpful to separate things in terms of uh, category. Like you might not, it might be more valuable. Like it might be more valuable to have an art document if you have a lot of artists and they need to like, mm-hmm. they need a place where they can um, both determine what things they need to do next or determine what direction they should take things and stuff. Um, yeah. And they maybe have a separate game design document outside of that because like you only have one game designer and like they can just put in notes and things and quickly update it as appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the definition of like, you want all the information that's relevant in one place, but then what's the definition yeah. of place, right? Like yeah. I, I've, I've navigated relevant. API documentation where every every class has its own page on a website. And that seems a pretty good way to break things up. But yeah. that particular website, every time you clicked away, it took like 12 seconds to load the page. So suddenly yeah. I was like, no, no, I would rather in that scenario, I would rather have every package be in, in one uh, uh, page because I can handle yeah. 12 seconds going from the input package to the uh, file management, you know what I mean? But not from yeah. going mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, uh, like one or t- another in the same package. On the other hand, yep. I've worked with API documentation where everything is on a single page and there's a sidebar that has anchors, uh, anchor links. That's yeah, great, yeah. but then suddenly I can't look at two things at once. Right. And so yeah. there's like a UX to the whole thing. Other than just yeah. like actually organizing your information and having it, it really right. the presentation and that's just an extra demand you weren't expecting but like it really makes the <laughs> yeah. difference yeah. right mm-hmm. that's true yeah. that's true yeah i guess like in the past like documents were printed out like you didn't save them on google doc google right you doc had a you had a tome like yeah uh which is yeah all, yeah which was a yeah, little and, way and, I, you learn a language back in the days you had your mm-hmm. big giant reference guide you know right but as a result of that like the documents were more static yeah like if if you made changes, you had to print out a whole new sheet or something mm-hmm. or a new document, uh, a completely new document. And I mean, I guess you could like cross stuff out and write things on the, the one pet document you have, but not everybody would have that document. Like I, I'm thinking about it in terms of like old school waterfall mechanic things mm-hmm. where like you would come up with the design and uh, of and plan of what you were going to do yeah. throughout the entire project right away in the beginning. And then maybe you would print out this document and this is effectively um the documentation that all of the employees would have and maybe you had mm-hmm. 50 employees or something um so if you made any crosses or changes as you as a higher up made any crosses or changes to things you'd either need to, you need to just dis- disclose that information to everybody you right, can't some sort of distribution method yeah and you're yeah, describing you you're also describing a distinction between documenting a a, a piece of work and documenting yeah. a process while creating the work right yes and they're they they do have different needs Right. And they, mm-hmm. they um, perhaps should be expressed in different forms. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have the terminology. to just, <laughs> just Performance the support. A performance it's, report? Performance support. So, um, you know, like if you're if you're documenting something that needs to be done on a product, there's like a lot of ways to describe that and a lot of different mm-hmm. labels that people use to describe that and a lot of different, I think, chunks of meaning. Sure. That are organized in different ways depending on who's viewing it and when. Yeah. Um, but if you are creating documentation around a process that when followed will create the work, then one, you know, you're talking about 
creating a, basically a piece of performance support. So someone's doing a thing and they're performing an action. They're performing a, they're performing an update. They're performing a merge. They're performing a kickoff call or something. You know, you might list out in a, a short, you know, a, a reference document that people can pull up in the moment and say, these are the steps and the considerations you need to have when you're doing this thing. And here's how you know that you're doing it correctly. That document you know, it doesn't go into the product. Yeah. Um, uh, but the work it describes is what creates the product. And that's, that's how called performance support. And you'll see it all over the place. Um, yeah. Fascinating. I have never yeah. heard of that before, but I'm going to try to use that in the future. There you go. I don't know. You know, I'm notorious <laughs> for not documenting. things. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, what, what part of the reason why I've been bringing this up is like, I've been trying to, do more documentation at work mm -hmm. and it has been a little helpful. I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been doing it super great. I think because like, I, I feel like I'm the only one really updating the document because I think it's <laughs> largely for me. Um, but um, it has been somewhat helpful to like, come back to it. I'll like forget. I have the document and then I make yeah. a bunch of changes and stuff. And then like one of my, I'll make one for one of my tasks for a sprint or something is to update the document. So I have like all of the new numbers and stats for all these characters or whatever. So I'll go back into the, 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 the previous document that has been updated in a while and see what my previous thoughts were on things um, and then go, oh, wow, this is not how this character really works anymore. Why did I make this change? And I'll think about it some and then I'll go, maybe I should go back to the old way of it or like this is a better direction. Now I should stick with what I have that's new. Um, and then I'll update the document as accordingly. Um, and so that what has been really cool about that is like as like having a living document is like you can kind of I guess I. There's no mm. version control um, for the documentation. I mean, there could be, but like, I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> and so like, <laughs> so like, I will forget again, once I make these changes, why I made these changes. Yeah. But um, this methodology is just like reminding me and more helping me reinforce what my, uh, what my idea for like a game is. Yeah. Um, you know, I just a, a real quick on that point. Uh, this is something yeah. I know I'm not good at, but like, um, like uh, Microsoft Word or Google Docs have like really robust like comments and changes uh, yeah. UX. Um, I'm not super familiar with it and I always have difficulty with it, but um, that is a good way to do version control on a document where you, um, with code, you don't, you want it there so you can prevent problems, right? Prevent bugs, resolve issues. But in a documentation, you want to be thinking about the history of an idea while you're looking at right. the, res the current thinking on that idea. Um, so it yeah. has a different purpose and, and that, that form works pretty well. So I would, I mean, yeah. I, I know I need to get up on like leveraging that. I know Ellen, you're pretty good at that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of my day job involves that, right? Yeah. It's um, cause my day job involves learning design. So um, the level at which I'm engaging with the experience design is a little higher level. Mm -hmm. And more along like the, I'm like the, the person who likes to, who bridges the business side with the design side um, and the dev side. Yeah. So I'm, you know, talking with developers and artists about how the experience needs to be built and what it needs to feel like and look like. And then I'm also just trying to explain that in a way that the business sponsors will understand and that they can, you know, I'm working with the business sponsors to make sure that this design is actually going to solve their learning needs or their performance needs of their students, staff, or whoever. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the stuff that's happening on the design and the development side, I, I'm communicating in JIRA. 
with very specific like screenshots, GIFs, writing, testing, mockups, proto- you know, prototypes, as much as I can create to be clear in the necessary design and development space. But then for the business side, that's mostly in Word. <laughs> <laughs> well, having that access, yeah. like being able to um, not have to dig around for why you made a decision or the the comments or the or the the reasoning, especially if you weren't mm-hmm. the one who made it, but you're the one who has to like uh, do work based on that, um, yeah. is really valuable. Because Stephen, you were talking about like like that living document approach, and mm-hmm. but it needs to have that balance, right? Because one of the things that can make you really slow when you're working on something, whether it's design or development, is having to like figure it out again every time. Um, yeah. Like when you're you know making something, and I mean we've all done this where you make a decision. And then you change your mind and you change your mind. You go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And yep. every time you run through that process again, like yep. you, you do a entirely and it's not a lot of times you get new information or you and that's healthy, right? You have new yeah. you building it. And as you build it, your 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 thinking is refined and it changes back and forth. But it's always relative new data. But very often it's just a process of you rolling the die again in your head and you just know the different result. And so yeah. having that documented is a way for you to alleviate yourself of that, that mm-hmm. burden and make you work a little faster and just not, and as long as you trust your past self, right? Yeah. And then you can make design uh, decisions based on that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But it can be kind of tricky to let go of that natural impulse to be like, why am I doing this? And could I do it better? Um, yeah. Because yeah. Like, oh, I, we already solved this, right? And Or if you disagree with right. in the moment, that's really frustrating. You disagree with yourself. You're like, oh, I should change this. Oh, but I make a really good case for it here in the documentation of why I'm doing it this way. <laughs> yeah. But now, but I feel differently now. Uh, right. you, you need to be able to know when is it the time to revisit that process and make a change, or be like, well, nope, I've already made a decision. I'm I'm gonna live with it and and trust yeah. that I would that if I had this, you know, that I was correct, even if I feel a little differently right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because like your your mind is like fluid in terms of what like things are good or bad at any given moment. Yeah. You might be, you might look at like, I, I, I talk about it in terms of like, I'm working on rhythm. Rumble. Um, and so you might be like, uh, looking at this character, uh, today and go, Oh man, this character plays great. This is good. It's a solid, solid gameplay, solid design. Mm-hmm. And then like two weeks later, you'll come back to it. And it's like, Oh man, this character needs work and it needs some buffs or something. This is just not working out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's weird how easy it is. And it's not all like it's not even just like determined based on your mood. It might just be like based mm-hmm. off of things you read within those two weeks yeah. that made you think about like design in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. And that will like change your mindset. So when you come back to this character, maybe it's not working with the ideas or goals that you came up with within the past two weeks of your readings or learnings or yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, that's the new so, like it'll Yeah, exactly. And so like that character might not feel good. And it doesn't mean that that character does not work and does not satisfy the goals you have for the project, but it might mean that it doesn't satisfy the goal you have the project currently. Yeah. So yeah. I think, yeah. So like Mark, I think you're right. Like it's important to, it, I think it's always important just because you wrote something down does not mean it's set in stone. Cause like, yeah. even if you wrote it, literally wrote it down in ink, just rip up the page and write it again or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're not selling the design document. You're not it's, selling the design document. Yeah. Exactly. You're trying to sell a game. So yeah. Yeah, but it yeah. also goes back to those that we talked about in a previous episode about design pillars is yeah. like there's at a certain like you do need to know when it's when it's time to change because you have new information. 
And there's certain yes. times when you have to be like, this is, is not meeting the goals I set. And maybe if I were to set those goals again now, they'd be different, but it's too late for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard. It's hard yep. to know the difference. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. Practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Practice and mentorship. If you can find, you know, get input from people and play test stuff. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yep. Man, I wish there was a way to like play test documents. I mean, oh, wait, there that's is. Paper prototype. That's, that's what that is. <laughs> we could we could read it for you, Stephen. You'll get fewer yeah. <laughs> fewer volunteers to like you know read my notes, but yeah, but you can. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's that helpful, is, right? That it's, does help. Yeah, uh, let someone take a look at your your notes or your documentation or your code comments and say, do you understand this? And and what does it mean to you? And then if they tell you uh, uh, in a way that you understand it, I mean, this is a tall order getting someone to help you with this. But if you were in a in a situation where you have coworkers, it's a good time to leverage yeah. them. Say, like, I've documented this process because it's going to help us six months from now, but let's make sure it works. Let's make sure what I'm saying makes sense to you as well. Otherwise, it's not useful. So give it a look. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you think. And if it makes sense to what I think, then we're good to go. Um, right. That's it's, playtesting in that case, right? Yeah. In the learning design world, you know, at least since I work mostly in, in the corporate side um, where we're corporate and my organizations where we're teaching adults how to do stuff, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily teaching young people, children preteens and teens how to like how to learn and what the body of knowledge in the subject area is you know we usually focus on teaching adults how to do something and um it's always so fascinating to me whenever we work with a client who's fairly new to online learning or at least new to highly contextualized very interactive online learning we ask them very specific very detailed questions about okay so this process that you teach people to do they do this and they do this and they do this what if this happens what if this happens what if they're doing in this you know situation and we always ask these very specific questions because we want to create learning content that has those elements woven in them Mm, because that makes it it's realistic it makes for realistic useful practice in the learning environment and so often these these questions will reveal use cases they were not thinking about even though like they'll you know people will agree oh yeah we really should have something on that but i've got to double check what the policy is and then they'll go back like we didn't have a policy and we all disagree about what it should be. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I think it's, it's useful to document processes so that you could have those conversations maybe more regularly mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, and keep people on the, you know, keep people on the same page. Not that the process that you have documented is the best process. That's not what your, that's not what your document is supposed to do. Is yeah. this the, it does this describe the best thing, whether it's the product or the process, yeah. you just want to have something that's set on paper, not in stone, but on paper. Mm-hmm. So you can look at this and bring it to people and say, is this the thing? Yeah. What feedback do you have for me? And that's how you iterate. You have, you have to have something before you can iterate on it. Yeah. I like that. It's like, it's like documentation is a form of communication and you can use that to communicate an idea to yourself or communicate an idea to other people about like what you what you're the direction you want to go with this thing mm-hmm. um i think see like when i when i if i've been thinking about like documentation in terms of like um or recently anyways i've been thinking about documentation in terms of like how i can use this to pitch an idea of a game to people mm-hmm. um because like I, I have to do that at work every once in a while like i'll have to make a pitch doc where like i'll talk about the benefits and uh disadvantage of this kind of design and like how I mean, we're at the end goal. We're all trying to make money with these. Well, by we all, I mean our company is trying to make <laughs> money of the uh, with these games. Um, and so, like, I have to talk about like what audience like this will work for, and like maybe compare it with like previous games we made in the past on our website or whatever, and say like, 
this was popular then, if we like updated it for the uh for modern phones or whatever and put it on phones and like it would be popular here and stuff like that. Hmm. Um but like I I uh I've also been thinking about it in terms of like I've been wanting to think about it in terms of like pitching it to like contractors or something maybe because hmm. like for example I I I oftentimes I know that I uh am not interested in like learning how to do a lot of art things. Um but like I might want to make a game that would require um like 2D sketches or something. Um, and yeah. so like oftentimes when I'm thinking about doing that, I'll be like, well, I got to make a prototype of this first before I show it to people. Um, and then maybe I can get them on board with it and I can contract them for their work. Um, but one, I think an easier way to do it really is to just like have a design do- or have a document in mind, not a document in mind, document on paper and mm-hmm. send it to this contractor so they can get a better understanding of what I'm thinking about. And then they, mm-hmm. they can make a decision on whether or not they uh, want to help out with the project or not. So there is a name for that. It's called a brief. So oh. working in design, a visual design and, and advertising as I have um, media projects, that is a client brief. So a client will uh, prepare like a, a document that says, this is what we want from this. And it's exactly as you described, which is okay. a way for you to quickly digest, understand the goals and then the work that you do is set out to meet those goals. And it's very, mm-hmm. very useful when you're working with people who have like a particular, I say mechanical in like the real world sense, like the, it needs to yeah. do this in the world, whether that's yeah. get someone to buy more Honey Nut Cheerios or explain mm-hmm. a concept or um, or sell an artistic notion, right? Yeah. And then it, it allows you to take those kinds of motivations and give them to an artist who doesn't have those motivations. Right. They don't they're not making it for the same reason. But then when they can they read that documentation, they empathize with those notions. And then the work that they do is sets out to meet them. And that's important because when you when you when you ask creative people to do creative work, you need to you kind of do need to tell them what what the creation, what the purpose of the creation is. Otherwise, you left to their own. They it will do other things and all those other things will be great and valid, but they won't be what Mm -hmm. the brief outlines. And then you have a yeah. lot of problems. So the worst clients are the ones who don't aren't good at writing the brief, right? Aren't good at mm-hmm. and you know you can craft it with them, of course, but um, it can be difficult if that's not laid out in advance. And you described exactly the process and the purpose, like exactly that's how it is. Well, I mm-hmm. better get started working on that. Identifying that is like ninety percent of the problem, you know. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that, that's the thing that's required, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think one other problem is when there is a tacit understanding that everything can be in the brief because, Mm -hmm. you know, like the product that you're creating, no matter what it is, it's a creative endeavor, right? It doesn't matter what the end product is, game, art, music, the keyword here is create. And the, like we said, the design document is not the thing you're selling. Like the design document is not the game. The yeah. brief is not the game. Yeah. Um, so I think the the thing about documentation that I think can be a trap is a spending too much time on it mm-hmm. yeah. and not enough time building the thing. Mm-hmm. And then B, when you're working on creating something, going back to the brief or the design document and going, is this it? Like if you're if you're helping someone else, if you're working with a team, um, grab that design document, grab that brief and bring it to your conversation. But like you need to look at the product together and say, is this what we intend? Here's what we wrote in the brief, but is this what we intend? You know, like yeah. 
there's really no substitute for those direct conversations. And I don't mean face-to-face. I mean, direct, right? Like yeah. you need, you still need to talk. If you're working with other people, you need to talk to those people. Yeah. Documentation is not a substitute for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you can make a clear document, but you can't always expect everyone to take away the same thing from it. And you shouldn't be spending so much time crafting your documentation to the point where it would be unambiguous to everybody because you've just then spent way too much time and you could spend right. that time instead checking in every now and again. Yeah. Well, and the, the other thing too is the, if you spend a ton and ton and ton of time on your documentation, then you're going to feel really invested in that documentation and you might miss opportunities to yes. change for your own advantage. Come in flexible, um, for sure. That's the whole thing about Agile, right? Mm-hmm. So what y'all are saying is I'm good on documentation and I don't need to worry about it because... <laughs> Why don't you send us a sample? <laughs> I mean, we've run out of we, we've run out of time in the episode to really tell you anything else. So <laughs> do as Stephen says, not as Stephen. <laughs> <Not does>. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. If you liked this episode, I sure did. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. For a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club slash feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and trucks driving in the debug zone. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. <laughs> Ask us questions. I see you laughing, Stephen. <laughs> Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.